Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Hi, I'm Brad Wilson. Thank you for being with us today as we go into podcast number 179 and the great study from Warren Litzman called It's Jesus, Just Jesus. This is part number eight. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This has been an awesome subject to me, and I have a hard time first knowing how to begin to display our Lord, and then how to end it all is another issue with me. And of course, it never will end. The learning of Christ is the knowledge of existence. Without Christ, there is no existence. There is no continuation. There is no life. Kind of hard for us who have been stimulated by so many things in life to come down to the final point that there is no life outside of Christ. There is existence. There's all kinds of words we could put on a life without Christ. But there is no true life. There is no life that fits you outside of Christ. There is no life that fits the human body what it needs outside of Christ, and there's nothing that meets our innate spiritual need outside of Christ. The world has always had a great problem in determining what is that thing that grips us and holds us to our beliefs. In Catholicism, they mostly have come up with all sorts of extraneous things, outer things, to try to hold people's attention to what they believe. Uh, from the building they worship in to the to the clothes that the priest wears to the things that are put around the neck to the candles to the crosses to all of the paraphernalia these are nothing but human attempts to try to hold people to what it is being proclamated or what it is they believe and so when you when you become a christian you immediately are divested of these things. Paul really was strong on this. He he said all these days and dates and paraphernalia and things that we use under the law and in the Old Testament, he said they've all been taken away by the cross. Well, it's hard for us to get that in our mind because we still have that kind of uh, address-up idea that we have to show pretty Christianity. We have to show uh, Christianity in a powerful way and, and so forth. Uh, much of the world today has invested, the religious world has invested itself in, in a showpiece. Uh, they do that by their buildings. Catholicism started this back in the third century, that the bigger, the greater the building, the more it would show the glory of God. And that's really taken hold today. The big buildings are being built around the world, even by Christians. It's kind of a showpiece. And I got a hold of a little thing not long ago from Mormonism, that Mormonism believes that the greatest uh, impact of their message can be shown in the building they build. And so Mormons never build a cheap building, I tell you. They build the most elaborate buildings, even more so than Catholicism. But I'm not punning these places. I'm just simply saying that we have nothing outside of us 
that is important. It's who we are as Christians, who we are in Christ. And every once in a while, I think we get a hold of this idea that we have to demonstrate to the world who and what we are. Never. Never. I always use the very crude uh, illustration about the Rockefellers. You've heard of the Rockefellers. You know, we always uh, comment on them when we're looking for some extraneous thing of richness or power. But uh, a Rockefeller never cares about what's on the outside because they know they're Rockefellers. They know who they are. You can criticize them all you want to, but it doesn't matter. They know who they are. Uh, They don't have to put on airs. They don't have to dress like it. They are that because they have it all. Well, in the same sense, spiritually, you have it all. You have everything God can give you. And you need nothing outwardly to demonstrate it. And I'm always coming in contact with people who are looking for some outer thing to show that they're Christian. We had a fellow in America that ran around for years with a cross on him. He felt like nobody had no Christianity if he didn't carry his cross. And, of course, that was his thing. And we all, at times, want to do something to express who we are. But that's not up to you. I look at Jesus of Nazareth, and the way he handled the situation of who he was is well written. For instance, he says, I do nothing I don't see my father do. That's that's quite a statement, you know. All, All I do is what I see my father do. Well, that means he's like a little boy who is entranced with his father. He's like the little boy who was following his dad out in the snow And his idea was, I've got to step in the footprints of my daddy so I can not be overtaken by the depth of the snow. So so it is. We have come and must come to that place that the Christ that is in us has but one obligation, and that's to the Father. It's a very close family, this Christian family. The religious family is a very disjointed family and always will be. But the born-again family of God is basically a very close family and should be. has different levels of understanding in it, but it is our mission and our goal in life to come to a oneness within ourselves. Remember It is not in God's plan that we be one with everybody. His plan is that we be one with the Christ within us, first and foremost. That there be no separation between you. That there be no you that says, well, I'm a Christian, but over here I'm a Baptist, or over here I'm a ball player, or over here I'm a mechanic. There must be a oneness that the mechanic is Christ, the ball player is Christ. There is no separation. We are one in ourselves. It's always good to see just exactly how God looks at us. When this gospel came forth, came from Christ directly to the Apostle Paul, and when it came forth, Paul 
must have asked Christ certain questions. How does this work? He must have been like any of us would have been. How is this put together? How does it work? How are we to, to manifest this great gospel and so forth? And there are three or four important things that Christ gave to Paul that was not given to anybody else which have become simple things in life this day. But one of the first important things that, that uh, Paul received from Christ was the, the idea of what a human being was, how they were put together, how they were created. And so over in Thessalonians, I think uh, around the fourth chapter or so, the, in the fifth chapter then, thank you, my other voice. In the fifth chapter of First Thessalonians, Paul is given an idea that is to be found nowhere else in the Scriptures to my knowledge. And what this was, very simply, it was how the human being was made or put together. It was the simple words, body, soul, and spirit, that man was a tripartite being meaning that he, he had three distinctive parts to his being. The way I have always uh, patterned that is that the human being is made of three distinctive parts. He has a spirit, he has a soul, and he has a body. It was from this diagram that the Holy Spirit was able to lead Paul into all of the extraneous areas that are in his epistles. Because not only is everything he writes developed from and based upon the in Christ position, but it is also based upon the tripartite man, the human being that God has created in three parts. Ironically, as simple as this may look to you, Science has still not accepted this. Most theologians have not accepted this. And so most people in the world have a hard time knowing who they are. But they especially have a hard time when the gospel is preached to them because the gospel is based on this sort of a person, this, this kind of a man. Now, when you were, when you came into the world, What had happened to you because of Adam's sin was that you had in you, the old blockhead, you had the sin nature or Satan nature. Everybody that comes into the world comes with Adam's sin predominant. Well, this influences the whole being. This means that it doesn't matter how you train the soul, which is literally the mind. How you train the soul mind, this is going to be the compulsive and powerful point of life, whatever your nature is. And of course, all of this is going to flow out like this. 
your body is finally going to express these things. But when Paul was given the final gospel, man was put into another farm. He had a soul. We call it a soul mind now. Had a body. And he had a spirit. But what had happened between these two was a cross. This is why the cross was a, an immediate thought in God's mind when He made His plan. This is why the cross is instituted in the plan before the foundation of the world. As Peter says, the Lamb was chosen before the foundation of the world. So the cross became a most important aspect because the cross is the place where God makes the change in this life here. He makes that change. Without the cross, there would have been no change made in man that was miraculous, that was supernatural. And so, if today the cross is not known as the power of God, as the important factor it is in God, if it is bypassed, if the cross is bypassed, then over here we have another aspect of religion. We have, we have another being over here who, who has body, soul, and spirit. But instead of him having another life here, he operates by self. He's his own person, has his own life, does his own thing. So what the cross did, the cross fixed it so that this part where Satan had occupied, where Adam's sin ruled, would be cleansed. You get that? There was a cleansing that took place at the cross in man's spirit. This cleansing was by the blood. That's where the blood came in. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so when you were saved, the cross had put the sin nature out and the God nature in. Christ became the new life. He became the only life of one who has passed through the cross. Maybe you can see how all the different brands and shades of religion developed at this point. The real criterion for God's plan on what is to happen to human beings is locked up in this cross. That's why the cross is equal in God's plan to the in Christ position. Remember, there are only two things we have listed in the Bible 
that God had in mind before He created the earth and man. One, Ephesians 1 and 4, chosen in Christ. Two, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's the only two statements we have that was in God's mind that would concern humanity. Well, if humanity doesn't get the importance of the cross that has cleaned out this space here and made it possible for Christ to live in it, then humanity has come up with another gospel. It's come up with another thing because they, they have to deal with body, soul, and spirit. And most false gospels use some part of God's Word, our Bible, especially those who claim to be religious or Christian. We have abundance of people who call themselves Christians who have ignored the cross and its place. Consequently, they have no idea of how Christ is the life of the human being. There are very religious people in Hollywood, California, where they put out a lot of propaganda. But those people have no concept of Christ living in a human being because they've not passed through the cross. Most theological seminaries have no concept of Christ living in the human being because the cross has been misused. In fact, Paul would say they were enemies of the cross. But being enemies of the cross to the Apostle Paul was not a satanic thing or a thing of uh, great unbelief. When he said they were enemies of the cross, they were people who had accepted Christ as Savior, but not His cross. They kept the law. That's what, when Paul makes that statement, enemies of the cross, he's talking about people who are saved, but they kept the law. They may still go to heaven, but they're enemies of the cross because they think that within themselves they can put it all together. They can make it work. They can do what it is that needs to be done to please God. And of course, that's not right. That's not proper. That's not so. Now, I'm putting this up here today because I I wanted you to see something that would be fixed in your mind that because of the cross, the sin nature is gone. Because of the cross, Christ lives in you. But the ignorance of the cross, not having the cross in its proper place, has created another kind of religion here. The other religion that has been created, you see, looks and appears the same. Outer religion can dress itself up to look like good Christianity. Like I've heard a lot of people since the Pope died talk about all the sweet, wonderful things about the Pope and everything. Good Christians. But the but the fact is, we don't know whether the Pope really knows the Lord or not, according to Paul. We don't know whether he's been born again or not. And we do know that he carries an awful load of baggage from indulgence to Mary and to all of the other extraneous things that have nothing to do with the plan of God. Man-made things. Well, much religion is like that. Much in religion is like that. And so what we have 
is a constant coming up of different things that look like Christianity, look like man's body, soul, and spirit is being dealt with. But what it all comes back to, basically, is that it is a very self-centered religion. You see, humanity doesn't want to give up the fact that Christ is the life. There are probably some of you in this meeting that have a hard time understanding the giving up of your life. You have a hard time first because I have great difficulty in explaining it. But you have a hard time because you're not letting the Holy Spirit talk to you on the level that He is in you. You understand that? Because you don't really lose your life, you claim your life. Paul used the terms, I have suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Well, you would think, well, he just lost all his life. And when I first talk about it in the first uh, sequence, I say he, he gave it all up. He lost it all. But what he really did, he gave it all up to Christ. He gave it from self to Christ. You understand the difference in that? So that if Christ wanted to use any of it, it was available, but He no longer was a self that needed it to be somebody because He had Christ. Christ was greater. Christ lived in Him. So what we have in religion today is all this self-help stuff. Everywhere I go, especially outside of America, somebody's asking me about Somebody who wrote a great book, my, everybody's studying that book. Most of these things are self-help books. They're trying to tell you what you must do to be a good Christian. Now, on a certain level, that helps people. If you're a little babe in Christ, it helps you to have a how-to book. But I think God has brought His church and His people to a place to where that's not the answer anymore. In fact... This is a gospel here that avoids Galatians 2.20. Why? Because Galatians 2.20 says, I am. Who is this self? I am crucified with Christ. Now, you see how, how we come to Paul's message? We come to it by the dealing of self. I have no life of my own. My life is now Christ. And so what happens is we are crucified to self. Self is brought under subjection. We'll see maybe some scripture for that in a moment. But until we are crucified as a self, our whole soul mind is given to how I can be greater, how I can do more, how I can get rich, how I can overcome. And of course, that flows out of us 
And that's what makes people think we are who we are. When you were born again, the sin nature went out. It didn't go out because of what you believe and think. It goes out because of what happened at the cross. Immediately, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you accepted Him on the basis of a a birthing. So, Christ is put into you. He is birthed into you. And I must be careful how I present that to you. He's not just put there as if He were a a brick put in a wall or a, a piece of fruit put on a table. He is birthed in you. You understand the difference between that? Many times in religion I have heard it put that Christ has come to stay with you. He's a guest. But if you don't treat Him right, He's going to leave. You ever had that idea? Have you heard, heard it preached that uh, if you don't treat Jesus right, He'll get up and go home? Now, there is something to that statement we'll not go into. But what it is, He didn't come to visit you. He didn't come to be a friend to you. He's not a next-door neighbor that's dropped over to see you. He has been birthed in you by a spiritual, sexual act of God. You understand that? Most prominent Scripture says that. It says, For God so loved in the extreme act of love that He took His very Son, the Word, His sperm, and placed it in the believing sinner that they should not perish but have everlasting life. So Christianity is not a visit with Christ. It's not something that comes and goes. That's religion. In fact, this new kind of self-centered religion has the Lord coming and going. He's never permanent because they don't understand the birthing. And I hope after our session last evening, as we went into John's epistle and saw how that the birthing was a permanent thing, no more Adam's sin, no more self-alliance, no more fear of the devil, a whole new relationship based on a birthing. God does not create a Christian. He births them. There is a created part to the human being. And that created part is in body and soul. This is the created part of the human. And to every human, that's different. That's the created part. That created part never functioned properly with the sin nature in it as its nature. 
But the created part is different to every person. Every person created by God is differently. No two of you alike in this room. But what is the same to every one of us, we have the same Father. When we were, when we were birthed by that Father, we have the same life in us. And now, because we're all different, that life is going to flow out of some this way, some this way, some this way. It's going to come out of every one of us differently. A Christian is not a stereotype thing. Every Christian is birthed by God and is different. The only thing similar to them is the life that is in them, the God life in the person of the Son. But you're all different. No two alike. That was to the glory of God. He didn't intend that we all be the same kind of Christians, all stereotyped, all fixed up and dressed the same and so forth. I used to, when I had a big church, we, we had a big choir. We had about a hundred voice choir behind me and we were on television every Sunday morning. <clears throat> and it was a big point to me in those days to get that choir looking right because they were the backdrop when I was preaching. And I didn't want them picking at their nose or reading the book. Or <clears throat> so we went through the little rigmarole of trying to get everybody stereotyped uh, to look alike. And I had them all fixed up where the tall ones were in the middle and the look like this. It would come down like we had some order in their size and height and, and, and so forth. I had it all stereotyped. Because I had to make... A good look of the thing. But God doesn't do this. His children are not stereotyped. He made every one of them different. Every one of you in this room is different from anybody else that God has ever created. And for that matter, I could tell you that there are no two leaves on a tree that are the same. Science discovered this long ago. You can make them look the same. You can put them in a row and your naked eye will say they're the same. But science says there are no two leaves on a tree the same. No two blades of grass that are the same. And of course that's consternating to science because they think it all evolved. But it, nothing evolved of itself. Nothing evolved in another evolvement the same as theirs. No, they were all different. So there are no two believers alike. That the miracle of human marriage is that two absolute strangers get together and try to make it work. The key. What is the key to that? They love one another. If they love one another as they ought to, two absolute strangers can make a life of it. But they're going to always be different. You may have 12 children. A woman here today may have 12 children out of her womb, but no two of them will be alike. They may be twins or triplets or quadruplets or whatever, but no two of them are alike. 
That's a God thing. And that's very important to God's plan because the children are not our children. They're God's children. We are not ourselves. We are Him in our human form. But the human form is different. The human form is always different. Understanding this becomes important. Now, what happens to us in religion is if you don't understand that we're only one by Christ in us, then somebody in religion is going to be picking out those people that look alike to them so that they can all be alike. And if you don't look like somebody else or fit into somebody else's program, then they have rules and regulations that will conform you to that, to where you look like that. Anyhow, you ever see a, an Arab army on television out on the parade ground uh, marching and uh, they all do the same thing just exactly like... Boy, it takes a lot of discipline to get them like that. High-stepping like the Nazis were. You ever... You ever I, what I notice in that, boy, somebody's worked hard to get all of those opposite people to be one. We mustn't do that in religion. Sometimes we like to hide behind the fact that I, sh- I go to this church because I sure do like these people. I like, I like the way they do things, and i got two or three good friends there. What we're doing, we're trying to stereotype our relationship, make it fit, fit us right. Well, that really wasn't in God's plan. Because you fit in with any of God's people when you're one within yourself with Christ. When there's no longer you and Christ, but it's just Christ is my life. Get the wording from Paul. He doesn't say Christ and I got together. He says Christ is my life. In another place, he says the life I live is Christ. I live his life. That's the oneness that Jesus prayed for in the Lord's Prayer, that we could become one with Him in this regard, in this relationship. But I, want, I wanted you to know what had happened in my crude uh, drawings here, that it is the only place you've had a change in your life is in your spirit. Your body and soul were created by God, and they naturally are akin to God by His creation. But when the sin nature was in you, nothing created by God fit. You were an out-of-order person. But once you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, for the first time, there was continuity between your body and soul, because that fit. You were created by God to have Christ in you. You were only completed by Christ in you. So once you gave your heart to the Lord or got saved or whatever you call it, that fits you. That's why you felt so good. But if you didn't have the gospel that Christ now is your life and is your only life to God, then what happened to you? You came back under a self-religion that I must do something to make all this work. I must do something to put this together. 
And so this takes us into a relationship with God that makes the difference in our living. What you think about Christ in you is what makes the difference in the way you live. Your success, your blessings in life are all tuned to this fact. What do I think about this Christ that is in me? Because to God, what is in me is no longer my nationality. I'm no longer an Italian, a Greek, a Jew, or South African, or American. I'm no longer these things. So what is in me is Christ. That's what makes the difference in my life. And what I know about that makes the difference in how I live. Because you now have one within you that fits your created part. Spirit is never created. Remember that. Spirit is never created. You do not create spirit. So when we had Satan's nature in us, that was Satan's spirit. Not a created thing. And whenever we were born again and Christ's spirit came into us, it's not created. Spirit is not created. It's not like body and soul. Those are created parts of you. Your spirit is never created. But that's the part that's the real you. That's the part that comes from a deity. A deity. Even satanic deity put the first nature in us. But that's also the part that comes by what we believe, the mind. Once again, we're back to the mind. The reason we have Adam's sin in us is because in his mind he believed. How do you get a spirit? Work it up? No. You believe something. Spirit comes by believing. Can't be created. How did you get the Spirit of Christ in you? You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. See? You believed. Comes by what you believe. Several things to say about this, and I'm going to take you into some of them. For instance, God, when He deals with us, never deals with us with the purpose of just trying to correct us. Some people have the viewpoint that all Christianity is is a chastening aspect of God, that all He wants to do is to correct us and chasten us and, and bring us under His kind of supervision. It is true that He chastens us, but God does not chasten us, I think, over whether we did this thing right or that thing wrong. That's not what the chastening of the Lord is about. Now, you remember that Paul talked to us about whom he loveth, he chasteneth, and every son that he hath, he chasteneth them. And if you dwelt upon that, you'd think God was carrying a switch all the time to whip us. And, and there are times that happen, and that's good. People who claim to be something and they are not that, God spanks them. 
You ever see a person who was a false professor of who they were? They said everybody, well, I'm just as good a Christian as somebody else, but there sure wasn't any evidence of it. Well, you know, that, that fellow's in the whipping line of the Lord. What's he going to do? They don't prosper. They don't get ahead. They're never true to themselves. In fact, they are a dishonor within themselves to themselves. And that's the worst kind of life to live. That's what makes people crooks and thieves and, and alcoholics and so forth because they are to themselves out of order and don't know how to handle it. And so they punish themselves some way by doing something that they ought not to do. God doesn't chasten us just for this wrong or that wrong. You know what I think He chastens us for? In everything that pertains to Christ in us. Now, don't you realize that when God worked out this plan, He knew that the body and soul, the created part of man, was going to be long misused before people ever accepted the true life. See, he knew that. He knew that humanity would be misused by Satan. The bodies would be torn apart. Their minds would be polluted. He knew that. And this, to me, is one of the greatest acts of grace. He allowed His pure, perfect Son to be placed in that human being. Knowing that for years that human being had been misused, hurt, beat upon by the devil, the nature that was in them. And yet God went ahead and put Jesus in that vessel. I ask you to turn originally, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter four, perfect verse, verse seven. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of power may be of God and not of us. <clears throat> what does that say? That says that this part of me that is created, body and soul, is like a vessel. And He has taken the most perfect thing He has and placed it in this vessel, joined it to our spirit. And we hold in this vessel this Christ. Christ in us. Now, don't you think God knew what He was doing when He did that? He didn't clean up the soul and He didn't clean up the body. An infirm person that gets saved still has an infirm body. An ignorant person who gets saved still has an ignorant mind. Are you following me? Follow me closely now because this will help some of you. Christianity often is presented, well, you're just going to be a whole new creature. 
That's why I've always said people don't understand Second Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. No, the part of you that is a new creation is the part of you that is the real you, not necessarily the created part of you. The created part of you is done by God. That's something aside from you. Well, where is the real you in the whole plan of God? It's in your spirit. That's why when you got saved, Christ was not joined to your mind. He wasn't joined to your body. He wasn't joined to your soul. He was joined to your spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Why? Because spirit is the non-created part. Spirit is what makes us have eternal life. When Christ's spirit is joined to our spirit, that's eternal. Nothing is eternal in the body and the soul. They are creations of God. But now the Scripture says that He has placed in these clay pots of ours, these earthen vessels, a treasure, which is Christ, placed in us. Well, we all have different old crock pots. That's what you are at your very best. You're an old crock pot. Some of you are cracked crock pots. Some of us. But Christ came to possess that cracked pot. He came to possess that vessel. And your whole issue of life is to receive Him, to honor Him, and to love Him. Because He, by His death on the cross, pushed out the life that was contrary to you, that didn't fit. The only thing that fits you is Christ. Nothing else fits God's creation but Christ. Now, I want to take that a step further. In anything God has created, nothing about that creation works aside from Christ. Nothing. That's why in Colossians 1, the Scripture says that all things were made by Christ, made for Christ, and operate because of Christ, and are held together because of Christ. The very atom is held together by Christ. The very atmosphere is held together by Christ. There is nothing that God touched in creation that does not have to do with Christ. I'm always fascinated by one... I don't know much about astronomy, but I'm always fascinated by one little thought I I got a hold of and remembered of how much God loves this earth. How much God loves this thing we call world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And to you and I who live on this earth, in this world, we think that's the biggest thing there is. You ever look up in the stars? I was looking at them the other night in my backyard. And I saw stars. Looked like they had five corners on it, but they shine bright. Some of them 
shined brighter than others. And I remembered what I knew about stars. That's so prominent in our English language, a star and what it means and so forth. But did you know that if you took the most powerful telescope that has ever been manufactured and took it to the nearest star, the nearest star, and set it up and started searching around the universe, you could never find Earth because it is so small. Think of that the next time you see a star. And think again. If that star is so much bigger, so huge, and that to get to it, I understand, if you could travel at 186,000 miles a second, it would take you four years to get to that nearest star. See, that blows your mind. You're out of, you're out of whack already. Think about it. The God that holds all that together because science still is trying to figure out astronomy and the, and the, wor- the world outside of earth because that, that's, that's puzzling to them because there could be billions of planets. They've not even discovered all of them. God, how big He is! How powerful He is. How strong He is. Allowed His Son to die for your sins. And then He took that Son, Spirit of that Son, and put Him in you so that Paul said, That's Christ in me. What did He put Him in? He put Him in a dirty, unclean, unkempt vessel. What did He expect you to do? He expected you to have such a love affair with this Christ that is put in you that you'd clean up your house. You'd clean up that pot. You'd take that body and soul and you'd commit them to this God who created them. And said, I am so thankful that Christ lives in me. I don't want to have anything about me that spoils or hinders or damages my relationship with Him. He's already come to live in that dirty pot. He loves you. God loves you. But the issue now is, do you love Him? That issue came to a head when Jesus watched His faltering disciples. And one day He just said, Lovest thou me? Do you really love me? Do you love me more than these things? Really, do you love me? Now, that's where your life comes down to. 
Religion has tried to clean you up by making you look like them, stereotype you. But when you did that by religion, it was self. It was self. It wasn't this love affair. I don't keep my house up because of everybody else. I keep it up because of Christ who lives in me. And until you come to that notion, that idea, that what I do, I do by Christ, you're not out of the self-reliant area yet. You're still a self trying to make it all work. So I implore you, after all of this conference of talking about Jesus, that we get back to this simplicity of a love affair with Him. Do I love you, Lord? Do I really love you, Lord? Ask yourself that question because the real you is this Christ. But the expression of it is determined by you. The vessel He lives in is determined by you. The only way God is ever going to deal with you then is on the basis of Jesus. Try to understand that. You think I've got to get myself fixed up right. There's a lot of people that have never accepted Jesus because their attitude taken from religion was, I've got to get myself fixed up and then I'll invite Jesus to come into my life. See, there's no love affair there. The love is He so loved you that He gave you His Son in the state that you're in. Just like you were. You remember we sang that when you had the altar call, just as I am without one plea. Well, the whole thing was Jesus is going to come into you just like you were. Cleaning up yourself is not a big thing to God. But cleaning up your house because Jesus lives there is a big thing. And I say that because I run into people who think they have a clean house and don't need God. I run into alcoholics who say, yeah, I quit drinking. I don't drink anymore. I'm, I'm a good person now. No. You clean up the house because of Christ. Because you don't want to ever let loose of that idea. He's my all in all. I need Him. I can't do anything within myself. I can't make it work within myself. Let's go to another thought. When God got ready to save us, He didn't give us a religion. God didn't give us a religion. Christianity should never have been branded as a religion. It was never God's intention to set up a denomination on this earth. You can see how God thinks in matters like this. When He became disgusted with this world, 
and he decided he would work through just one people. He didn't choose any Gentiles. He didn't choose any heathen nations. He chose Abraham's seed and that seed only called Israel. And he dealt only with Israel for 1,700 years. He dealt only with Israel and made them a chosen people. He didn't deal with anybody else. And so when God got ready to raise up His family, He didn't give His family a religion. Remember, my definition of religion is anybody who religiously tries to do something within themselves to please God. He didn't give us a code, a special way to live. He gave us a book, but that book is called the Word of God. And what He gave us was that Word of God or that person of Christ. He didn't give us a religion. He gave us His only begotten Son. When He got ready to make this real to us, when He got ready to open up His heart as a Father and tell us who we were, He didn't send us a special book or He didn't have a special announcement. You remember when Moses got the law, there was a great glory that was all around Moses. You remember when Solomon's temple was dedicated, they had the glory of God all around it, Shekinah glory. You remember on the day of Pentecost, they had cloven tongues of fire, the building was shaken, and all great things took place. But whenever God gave the revelation of what the life of the human was to be. It was a very silent thing. It took place first in a desert between Paul and the Lord Himself. And whenever you became pregnant with Christ as a born-again believer, there was no great shaking thing about it. Heaven didn't holler. Angels didn't come down. Devils didn't run. It was God birthing His own family. It's like the birth of a child. The birth of a child takes place in a very solemn, sweet, hidden, alone moment between the respondents. That's the way it is. Christianity is not a great hullabaloo. It's the coming of another person as the life of the individual. So God didn't give us a religion. He gave us His Son. He gave us the one that He loved more than anything or anybody else. Also, God didn't give us doctrines. We have a lot of doctrines in here. But that's not what He gave us. That's the result of what He gave us. What God gave us was His Son. His Son is what you have. And as a result of that, there are innumerable rules, regulations, commandments that are given that make that work. 
But that's not what He gave us originally. He gave us His Son. And then He gave us the means by which that Son was to operate. It's a very interesting factor. In grace, we have no commandments that have judgment attached to them. Not a one. But we have plenty of commandments. Paul said plenty of times, this is what you ought to do. This is how you ought to do it. This is the way it is to be. In fact, I've gone through Paul's epistles. I haven't gone through Hebrews. That's the only one I lack. But I've gone through all of Paul's epistles, and in my feeble way, I come up with 377 different commandments. Not a one of them have judgment attached to them. That's the difference between grace commandments and law commandments. All law commandments have judgment attached to it. If you don't do it, something's going to happen to you. But in grace, there was no judgment. Think of that. What a blessed thing that was. That was God's intention of showing us a new way of living, another life altogether. So He didn't hand us the doctrines first. He gave us His Son. And then Paul comes along and tells us how to live. How to function with that Son. So much so that Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because if you don't follow Paul, you're not going to know how all this works. You're not going to know how to put it together. But there is no place in any of those commandments for judgment. Now, if you disobey God and you're His child, He'll spank you. Whom He loveth, He chasteneth. You understand that? We all get chastened. Every son He has gets chastened. I said this one time in a meeting, and a woman rushed up to me and she said, I just want you to know I have never been chastened by the Lord. I didn't know for sure what she meant about that. But she talked on a moment and reasserted, I've never been chastened by the Lord. So I opened up the Scripture and read her through that Scripture, and there's one little line in there that says, whoever he does not chasten is a bastard. Her eyes fell, opened all the way. Well, she said, I didn't know that was in there. I said, yes, you're a bastard. You're not a birth. See, the bastard word has to do with birthing. You can't get away from the birthing. And he said, if you have been birthed by God, if you are birthed by God, you're going to be chastened at times because he's a father that's raising a child. You. And if he doesn't do that, then you're not really his. You're not his. So every time I see somebody that's come up with a religion where they don't have any hard times, God doesn't lead them in any of the CNS gang, they just have a, a flower better ease and they're floating somewhere to their happy hunting ground. Paul call them bastards. Awful word. But. Go to another thought. 
I'd like you to get it fixed in your mind that God answers every need by Jesus. I learned this years ago when I pastored. I was on the radio every morning in in our city. And I went off the air every morning with this one line that God wants to answer all of your needs by showing you more of His dear Son. That always has stuck with me. How does God answer our needs? By showing us Jesus. What Jesus do you need to see? Do you need to see how Jesus stood on a hillside and spoke great words and rebuked the devil and healed the sick? No, that's the wrong picture. That's the wrong mindset of Jesus. The Jesus you need to see is the Jesus that's in you. Because to you, there is no other Christ but Christ in you. That's what you need to see. That's what you need to know. The Christ that's seated at the right hand of God shared His Spirit with every believing sinner and joined Himself to that sinner as the sinner's new life. That's what you need to see. Life is not your own. It is Christ. That is your life. And in the whole of the plan of God, from the world, the heavens above, the stars, the moon and the sun, down to the little baby that you're nursing, everything has to do with Jesus. Nothing is separate from Him. And He lives in you. He lives in you. And outside of you, He has no home on earth. He lives in you. I've often thought when Jesus spoke, Jesus of Nazareth spoke that day and said that the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, and the Son of Man hath no place to lay His head that he might have been reaching way over to where the time would come that his only place on this earth would be inside created human beings. He lives there. That's where his life is. That's where his whole of everything is, is in you. Take it home with you. Think about it. Study it. I can't convince you. You need a revelation of Jesus Christ to begin to see these truths. Wait on the Lord. He gives the revelation when He is pleased. When it pleases Him, you'll have the revelation. But if you're not waiting, it'll come and go and you'll miss it. So keep your mind fixed upon Him who is life and your life only and life eternal. i got to quit. I've got to say, this is the best audience I have ever seen. I've got to say, there's nobody quite like you in the universe. I mean that.
I've never found a sweeter, more humble, more hungry, more blessed people than you. I say that to you not knowing you, but that's the way I feel. I say that and you may criticize me and rope and tie me up and crucify me. But you sit and listened, and I've had the opportunity to bring the gospel to you. And I have been blessed to do so because that's what we live for. That's the only thing we live for. We have no life outside of the Son. And I've got to get His message across to others. And you help us to do that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. And these meetings, as you can see, are important to the spread of this message. Because when the world hears, look at all those people who are giving themselves to Christ. You make a point. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's keep doing it. Make every one of these conferences. You have to sacrifice to get here. My, we have to sacrifice to get here too. It costs a lot because we've got a lot of other places we have to go to too. But the furthest place we come is South Africa. I'm told from Dallas to Johannesburg is the longest airline flight you can take. So we gladly do it. Love to do it. Because we love you. We love the Christ that's in you. And as you love Him and grow in Him, That makes our life worthwhile and wonderful. Your gifts that you give help us to reach other people in Africa and especially in Europe. We have a great open door in Europe. Almost half of all the literature we publish is given away. It's given away to missions and it's given away to prisons. We have thousands of pieces of literature that go to prisons because there's a place we're really reaching people in a wonderful way. Your gifts, your prayers, and your contingent support makes a difference. Stay in the videos. They're not very good. Some of them are badly produced. We never intended you'd be seeing them when we made them. We never intended they'd be used around the world. We just had them done for our groups in the States. But they're old now and dilapidated, but they're still being used of God. And we're transferring many of them now to DVD and to CDs. Stay in there listening. You don't watch a series of tapes and say, I got it. After all these years of my study, I can't say I have it. I'm just growing in it. I'm just learning it. Because the Scriptures open up greater every day than they were the day before. So don't ever eat that line that I already know about that. When you hear a preacher who says, yeah, I know about all that, you can write it in your notebook. He doesn't know anything. (laughs) Or he wouldn't talk like that. You remember Jesus said on a couple occasions, I have many things to tell you that you're not ready for yet. We're still in that same boat. 
But it's a great adventure. It's a great thrill. Never thought I could learn so much about God and His plan. I quit. We have been royally blessed and we love you. We've been listening to Warren Litzman's study called It's Jesus, Just Jesus. This was taken live from a conference that Warren and Robbie did a number of years back in South Africa. And how wonderful this study is. Now, we'd like to invite you to please visit our website and learn all about the In Christ message. It's Christ-life.org. Christ-life.org. Read all about us and go to the bookstore and find some of these wonderful gems that Warren left behind for us. Christ-life.org. Now, we'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes, and Teresa Ferraro produces this podcast each week for the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.